0: Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the advice.
1: Carpe diem.
0: Seize the day. The
1: comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer.
0: Uh And the technology.
1: Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean?
0: Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s.
1: Can you say stuck in
2: the 80s?
0: Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And today, on its 30th anniversary, we talk to another star from 1983's Valley Girl.
1: The phonetic. I am the phonetic. I like the movies and the rock shows. Rock stars and the radios.
3: I am the Nick Cage? <laughs> it's not Nick Cage. Uh... That other guy, Michael Bowen, the lead singer from the Plimsolls. No, come on. Brad. You asked Josie Cotton where she got that cool skirt with the race cars on it. <laughs> Brad in L.A., you're better than this. Well, I'm just trying to trying to lead it into the the, the ultimate answer. I'll, I'll give you the full story later,
0: but the interviews with Heidi Holliger, who played Stacy, uh, Jimmy Foreman's best friend in the movie. And the story about how she came to find Stucky Needs is kind of interesting. Yeah. But uh, I have to ask you because it's, it's 30 years old and, you know, people are celebrating it again. It's kind of – it's, all it's dare I say, in the news. Um, when was the last time you saw Valley Girl, Brad?
3: So I was supposed to be at the, the 30th screening that she was talking about, but I wasn't able to make it, which we've talked about on other podcasts. But uh, recently it was – I think it was a Friday night and everyone was asleep, you know, me and my my alcoholic beverage to keep me company. Uh um, did, gar- did you have a garnish? I'm sure I did, Steve. <laughs> That's how I am. I mean if you're gonna do it, do it right. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, so it's okay. We we obviously differ on that. Um but uh I, you know flipping the channels came across that and I think it was probably fifteen minutes in and I thought oh, I'll watch a little bit of this and I ended up watching the, the rest of the movie and I was like, you know what? I really think this holds up pretty well. Um the performances seem honest as high schoolers um, and it just it actually—it really kind of made me sad. I'm like, oh, this movie is 30 years old. Oh my gosh, how can that be possible? Oh
1: uh, Stacy, if I were 20 years younger, honey,
2: hi, <laughs> I won't like, gr- oh, be too late, I'm yeah. sure. Well, we don't want to pressure you, dear.
1: Just let us hear from you by next Tuesday, okay,
0: honey? Well, like lunch?
2: I'm not going in a peace march or something heavy like that, Pop.
0: It's—it's it's weird because it takes me back, and I—I I told Heidi part of the story. I'm not sure if it makes it into the. Uh, she and I talked for about 40 minutes on the phone, maybe maybe closer to an hour, and I, I trimmed it down to 25 minutes. But um, I didn't see it in the theaters. Which yeah, I don't think I did either. I think I saw it on cable, right? And yet, it's an important part of Stuck in the Eighties lore because it it intersects with just about every other story from from Stuck in the Eighties Land. Most importantly, um, the night that it, I. I recorded it on cable. It came on like at 10 o'clock at night on HBO and I asked my mom to Mm -hmm. tape it because I was going on a date, which I'm pretty sure – I know I told Heidi that part. And um, the date was with the girl um, that we went and we danced to Spando Ballet's True. Okay. Yes. And stood by her door for like two hours afterwards and, and couldn't even work up the courage to try for the goodnight kiss. And I know I've I've told the story,
3: if not on the podcast, at least on the blog. And yeah, I know I remember yeah. the story. I couldn't yeah. find it in the podcast if I had right. to, but I remember. So hearing
0: that it. was the night. And so then I went home later that night. You know, just crushed. And then I end up watching Valley Girl either that night or the next day, and just being like immediately drawn to this movie. And it's it's fantastic. And then, um, you know, it took forever. I mean, it's one of those weird movies in the sense that the the soundtrack, which is so good. It didn't like. There were, I guess there was a limited run of it at first. We've, we've done a whole podcast on Valley Girl, and if, if you haven't heard our our Valley Girl podcast, I think it's like episode number. It's in the first twenty. I'm pretty sure.
3: Is it really? Yeah,
0: yeah. Know. It's early, so go back and listen to that for the, for like all the details that you're wanting to know about Valley Girl that we know. And there, there's tons of it. Go back and listen to that. But and the music's important and the, the story's important. But in terms of today, what's most important is that. Um, the big breakup episode of Stuck in the 80s took place about four years ago and when I interviewed Deborah Foreman.
3: and Which is a great episode. It's a great, great episode. episode. <laughs> I put a lot well, of effort a, into that it's one. It's a great episode. I mean, Steve, you just poured your heart out on that and you know, really put it out for the listeners and I think it it, it resonates with people. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's a very honest podcast.
0: <laughs> but like a couple months after it came out, I got a call out of the blue. I pick up the phone and she's like... Is this Steve? Yeah. This is Heidi Holliker. And I'm thinking, it can't
3: be. Okay. Who <laughs> yeah. so is this really?
0: <laughs> I'm like, because I, like, I know who Heidi Holliker is. And sure. I mean, I, I know the entire cast of this movie for the most part. And I'm like, seriously, who is this? She's like, no, no, no. I heard your interview with, with Deborah Foreman. I just want to make sure you're okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm fine. Oh. And so she's like, if you ever want to talk. And we, and we talked back and forth for about 20 minutes. And she said, if you ever want to talk. Um, just reach out to me. Here's my email address or, you know, friend me on Facebook and let's, let's get together and we'll, we'll talk about Valley Girl and whatever. So that literally four years later, (laughs) um, finally, um, I get a chance to talk to Heidi. I mean, it's the 30th anniversary of the movie and I thought, what a perfect time. I know she's, she's been talking about a lot lately. She's been to some of the events. Yep. Yep. And so we thought, okay, finally stuck in the '80s. Talks to Heidi Holliker. And so what you're about to hear is 25 great minutes of me talking to to one of the great actresses of one of my favorite movies of the '80s. She's going to tell you a few things you didn't know about the movie, and she's going to make you want to see it all over again. So, ladies and gentlemen, Heidi Holliker, roll tape. So 30 years later, and I'm now talking to Stacy from Valley Girl, Heidi Holliger. How are you doing?
2: Hey, I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Excellent. So we've been pin pals for years now, and it's it's yes. about time we finally got you on the show.
2: Finally. I've been waiting. <laughs> By the phone. Don't
0: say that. It makes me feel bad.
2: <laughs> but, <you> know. <laughs> I know you love Debbie, but hopefully you have a little love for me, too.
0: Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> it, it, was about, it was about three or four years ago where I got a call out of the blue. And it was you calling and you'd heard my interview with Debbie Foreman.
2: You know, anytime I see anything that that pops up on my computer or about Valley Girl I like to be a part of it. It's 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 an amazing, you know, little little part of my life. So anything I can do to you know, be involved, talk about it. We had the thirtieth anniversary at Lacma recently, so It's just, it's been, it's been kind of, ironically, I thought of this the other day, it's the gift that keeps on giving.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was just about to say, it's been, this is the big 30-year anniversary, and I guess you've been to some of the special screenings in L.A.?
2: We did at the LACMA, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art on Wilshire Boulevard in L.A., we did the 30th anniversary screening, and Martha Coolidge, our director, was there to introduce and do a Q&A, and I was, in, I was invited to come and judge an 80s costume contest, which was pretty fun, pretty pretty bizarre, and Cameron Dye was there, and I was there, and Colleen Camp was there, uh, who played Julie's mom, and Martha, of course, and um, Elvis Mitchell moderated. He's the guy from, I think, originally NPR, but he he does all of these uh, special events now associated with LACMA and the New York uh, New York Film Festival, Independent Film Festival. So he he moderates classic films and does a Q and A. And it was just it was a really fun night
0: was there anything you learned about the movie that night that you didn't know?
2: No, I had one of my best friends from high school was there with me and there, there were four of us exactly like in the movie. And it was the movie really mimicked my life being, I'm the only one in the film from the Valley. So, and one of my best friends there and we just kept looking at each other and laughing through the whole film. It was just, it's just so fun. It's, and it's so, it's, it's surreal, and it's fun, and when you hear the audience laughing, it's just, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's very euphoric.
1: I will pay whatever
2: it takes to make sure nobody reads a word of this. Like I'll be totally bummed out if anyone on Earth, outside this car, finds out about this. Oh, where is your sense of adventure? Just shut
1: up. I personally guarantee you, you will have the time of your life tonight. You'll see things that you've only read about in books. Oh, I'm sure.
0: Before this screening, when was the last time you had actually seen the movie?
2: Oh, gosh. When it comes on TV and I'm home, I sew and I, I quilt and I paint and doing things. And if it's if it's on, I, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it because I feel like, oh, it's on. I, I should have it on. You know, it's on TV right now. So I'll watch pieces of it and then maybe go in the other room and then feel like, oh, I know that scene's coming up. I better watch that again. <laughs> so it's on, it's on so often and it's on... YouTube and um, Netflix and you know, you just have your set on and there you go. One, one experience I had was uh, I went whitewater rafting and I was in a little inflatable kayak because the big raft had too many people and the rafting guide knew I'd rafted before. So I said, why don't you get in this kayak with this other person who hadn't rafted and you guys do the river that way. So that particular day, it was a really rough river. It was um, Kern, the Kern River, and we started to go into the tree, and then we, we were pushed out of the kayak, and, and we were pushed under the water. And it was just one of those kind of, oh, my God, what's going to happen right now moments where you either get panicky or calm and kept getting banged up against the rocks. And anyway, had this whole day like that, get back to my little cabin. I had my dog with me at the time, left the TV on for her, walk in, and had this kind of, you know, like, oh, my God, I could have died feeling. Walk in, and there's Valley Girl playing on the set just out of the blue. So it's just this weird movie that just keeps popping up all over the place. I want you guys to know that you're my best friend. Eyes forward, Julie. Tell us quick, who is he? He was at the party.
1: Eyes forward, mouth shut.
2: Could it be Brad was there the whole night? Who is it, Julie? Randy. Who's Randy. He's the most awesome dude ever. was I when he was around? Yeah, like where were you?
1: You don't mean that guy. What's the conversation, girls? He's
2: that guy from Hollywood. I mean, like, he came back for Stacey, but he took us back over the hill. I mean, it super time. I mean, like, your party was super nice. Man, he's just, like, tripendicular, you know? Who isn't he, Stacey? He's Dye Richmond.
0: So, so take us back to the 80s. How much acting had you done before Valley Girl?
2: I had done. Uh, I'd done 30 commercials and um, two videos on MTV. I did Twisted Sister. Well, first I did John Mellencamp's video this time and in 1980. And then I'd also, no, that was after Valley Girl. I did Twisted Sister's Leader of the Pack, but that was in 85, 86. So I had done, um, my first film was called Pink Motel with Phyllis Diller and Slim Pickens. And it was a low budget kind of rompy teenage adult comedy thing and ironically Phyllis Diller who unfortunately passed um, she my mother came out to California because of Phyllis Diller and my mother is a writer and she wrote jokes and mailed them to Phyllis and Phyllis wrote back when we were I was born in Boston when I was a little girl and Phyllis encouraged my mom when we came out to California and then my first movie is Co-starring with Phyllis Diller, so we got to spend some time with her, and she got to see my mom, and it was it was pretty great. So that was my first film, Valley Girl. Let's see, Valley Girl is my second film. Um, I did, like I said, I did a lot of commercials. I did two soap operas. I did some a very short stint on General Hospital with John Stamos, and I did a teenage soap opera called Young Lives. So I'd been at it. I was 22, so I'd been at it professionally for four years.
0: So how did you get involved in Valley Girl? Did you audition?
2: Yeah, it was just it was just a regular audition. Um, well, semi regular. I went out for a different role. I was I got a call to go in and read for the part. The role of Samantha. Samantha's the character who is with Nick Cage in the bathroom scene in the Hollywood oh, Club. Oh yeah, sure. Real pretty girl. Yeah. And she makes out with him and. Um, she's she's his Hollywood girlfriend, so that character. So I went in and I it made my hair crazy and wore really tight pants and really high shoes and, you know, really vamped it up and read for that role. And then I found out I got that role and was like, oh, great, fantastic. And then the next day they called and said, we want you to read for the lead. So I was waiting tables at two different restaurants. I got home at midnight There was a script in my tour. I'm studying it. I'm studying this role of Julie. I'm so excited. I'm so nervous. I get in the next morning to read. And they said, no, 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 you're reading for Stacy." Oh, no. And I I was like, okay, whatever. So, you know, I just had to kind of go by the seat of my pants and um, was pretty much... Uh, myself in a lot of ways, and an exaggerated form of myself. And uh, a couple of hours later, I got the part. But it was I replaced somebody. Somebody was um, a girl named Tina who was in the beach scene when she's speaking to Elizabeth Daly in line. She originally got the role, but her agent didn't commit. So huh. it's just luck, you know. Luck of the draw.
0: Now, was acting that was your career plan at that point? To Yep. Hmm? No. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah, since I was about. 11. Wow. <laughs> it was all I wanted to do.
0: Did you know anyone else from the cast before the shooting began?
2: No, I remember when we all met in this little production office. It was just around a table saying, hey, how you doing? Hi. And then we hung out together and we went to the Seven Seas in Hollywood dancing to try to do the valley dances. And I'm a terrible dancer. And so I was doing the best I could do. And, and we, we went to some restaurants. And so we went to a couple of clubs and and hung out and got to know each other we only had I think two weeks of prep
0: and I guess the two most recognizable stars going into that movie would have probably been Richard Sanders who had been on WKRP in Cincinnati and Frederick Forrest
2: oh Frederick Forrest of course yes Frederick Forrest is just an amazing actor and it was I was so excited to meet him so yeah everyone else was an unknown of
1: course did you get in trouble the other night? for what? coming home so late. No. Well, your parents find out? Yeah,
2: they were waiting up. Don't they care? For Sure they care, but I'm supposed to develop into my own person, you know.
1: Oh, well, that sounds good. How about a Coke?
2: Uh, sorry. My dad said they supported the war effort and it rocks enzymes in your stomach. <laughs>
1: well, that sounds good to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What was your first impression of uh, of Nick Cage and, and Deborah Foreman?
2: Um, well, Debbie was going to be, you know, my best friend. So we instantly hit it off, and we, we again, started hanging out. So we all just hung out and did things together. And then I don't think – I'm trying to think if Nick went dancing with us. I'm not – I really don't remember that. I remember Cameron dancing with Cameron a lot. Um, but Nick, once we started shooting, he – he was Randy, and Randy did not like Stacy, so there, he he didn't really hang out with me at all, or have <laughs> much to do with me.
0: I always thought Cameron Die, who played Fred, um, who had the hot sphere character, I always thought he was underappreciated in the movie. Did, did, how well did you get along with him?
2: Great, he's a great guy. I saw him; he was. We were hanging out at the 30th anniversary, and I run into him. At sometimes we do autograph signings at the Hollywood Collector Show and I run into him and he's hes just a great guy and he we got along beautifully. He's an incredibly talented musician and always has been. So just like Liz E.G. Daly, Elizabeth Daly, who is now on The Voice as a contestant. So yay. Go I saw e. that. Yeah. Yeah, they just used a picture of us um, from Valley Girl and she's a contestant and I, I hope she takes it, you know, so it's exciting. But they both are musicians and... And he plays. He plays around locally. He's here in L.A. She,
0: she had a bit of a nice career in music after Valley Girl. I know she did a um, uh, song for Better Off Dead. Yeah, and a song she did quite a lot. School.
2: She did yeah. a lot of stuff, and of course, she's known as the voice of uh, Tommy Pickles and The Rugrats, and um, and she's Blossom in the Powerpuff Girls. And so she's been a voiceover actress for years
0: when i when I talked to debbie a few years years ago, she talked about how she and Nick were actually dating during the making of the movie did Did anyone else realize
2: I don't think they were dating during the making um, well if they did, we didn't know so <laughs> I think they hung out after more but
0: could you see that there was some sort of a spark between them or
2: oh, there was definitely chemistry, no question absolutely I mean it plays on screen and again, you're just you're meeting somebody you know to in two, for two weeks and doing some doing some script readings and rehearsals and then you have 4 weeks and 2 days to shoot a movie where you know those two fall in love and and so everything was very fresh and very authentic between the two of them they had great chemistry.
0: What about you and Cameron no, no sparks there?
2: Yeah, we had sparks. We had great chemistry too.
0: Was there was there any relationship between you guys?
2: We we were really good friends. <laughs>
0: That's a good answer. <laughs> was it Was there? Were there any other? And
2: we're friends now. It's great. You
0: know? were, were there any other off-screen romances going on between the cast?
2: Not that I know of. Not that I know of. Cool. Unless you know something I don't know. Uh,
0: I am always trying to find out more about this movie.
2: Well, one thing Martha did, which it, it's funny, I was thinking about it recently. As a director, and you know, I wasn't some extremely seasoned actress by any means, but she, she would laugh with laugh at our, at the jokes, laugh, laugh and be so encouraging. And it was just, I remember it. I remember it more recently that it was just, you're ready to do a scene and you do something and she's cracking up and she's loving it. And you think, Oh, kind of like, you know, you want to please your mom, you want to please your teacher. Like, Oh, I did good, you know, so she did that through the whole film. She was, she's just, um, she's just really, really gifted. And it was such a low, low, low budget, movie with no perks and no, you know, no um, fancy anything and very, very tiny amount of film to use that she, she just, it was the perfect moment, the perfect director, the perfect cast at that moment in time.
0: I remember seeing it for the first time and I didn't see it in theaters. I was probably too young. Too young. so I would have seen it. I think I my mom taped it for me on HBO one night. I had a date, and I had a choice between staying home and watching Valley Girl or going on the date. And I, I decided <laughs> to take the date and tape Valley Girl. I remember watching it, and I remember thinking, and I, to this day I still think this, that the first three or four minutes is tough to get through because it's that those few minutes of, of Val Girl speaking. You're like, oh, no, what have I done? This is not going to be a good movie. And then suddenly – it gets its heart, and you just cannot turn away from it.
1: We gotta get all puffed out to the max, no, for sure. <laughs> oh, God, gag me! How cold you? I'm sure. I'd be freaking out. Look, like I'd be
2: scarfing up everything in sight. I'm sure. I don't know. You know, like, oh, I get so fat and all, and what happened to my zits and get so pudgy?
1: And who decides? It's totally gnarly dressed <laughs> control.
2: Yeah, the first. I, I Martha was saying at the 30th anniversary that she wanted to get the whole vow thing out of the way, and I never quite realized that. But she wanted it just to put it out there real quickly and then move on with the story. So you hear E.G. saying, you know, "Oh my God, ga- gag me!" and me saying, "Gag me!" and so and so saying whatever, and it was just very um, ex- extremely heightened. But that's what my girlfriends and I used to do. We went to the malls. We didn't. It wasn't the Sherman Oaks Gallery, it was Macy's Macy's Mall or the it used to be the, in Sherman Oaks there was Bullocks and it was, it's still there. It's called the fashion, I think Westlake Fashion Square. And we used to hang out there. We used to hang out at the Macy's Mall and you would go to the food court and you would just gossip with your girlfriends about yourselves. Not really necessarily other people so much, but, you know, who you had a crush on, who you hated, who you loved, you know, that sort of thing. So it was very real because that was what we did. You know, I had done four and a half years earlier.
0: So the movie comes out and Nick's career takes off and Debbie goes on. And makes She makes a pretty good, a couple of good films. Did you see that coming, the two of them?
2: No way. Mm-mm mm Did not see it coming with Nick at all. No, I, I don't know. Martha did. But um, Nick was 18. And um, I mean, he was great in the film, there's no question. But when you're shooting it, you're not you're not seeing the film. I mean, when you're shooting it, you're shooting a scene. You don't have any hindsight or perspective or anything like, oh, that was a brilliant scene and that was so well lit and he's so charming. And you're just in it. You're doing a scene, you're doing this, you're doing that. And Um, no, I had no, no idea. There's no way you can have an idea. You knew he's good, of course, but everybody was really good. Um, So it was, yeah, he blew up. It was intense. And every audition I'd go on, all I'd be asked is what, what is Nick Cage like? (laughs) And so like, he's great. He's great. Can we read the scene? (laughs) You know, So, so so, then after Valley
0: Girl, your next role is, I think, Joy of Sex in 1984.
2: Yeah, with Martha as well, and Michelle, Mayrink, and Cameron Dye. And what else from Valley Girl? I think, I don't know anyone else. I don't, I'm not sure. I thought there were five of us from Valley Girl, but maybe just four.
0: And um, so that that was sort of, so with the same kind of gang, it's kind of like a carryover from the buzz of Valley Girl then?
2: A little bit. It was very a very, very different experience because it was up, it had a budget. It had wardrobe. It had trailers. It had, you know, m- meals. It, it was just it was done at the Paramount lot. It was just a whole different. It was like a real movie, you know, set and that sort of thing. So it was a very. We shot all over, but um, we're based on the Paramount lot and. It was a very different experience, but it was a much larger cast, and it didn't—it wasn't the same um, experience at all, and it didn't have the same kind of charm ultimately.
0: I remember seeing it, but I—I I bet I haven't seen it in twenty years, maybe. Yeah. Um, so at that point, so at that point, you must have really been pretty happy with the way your career is going.
2: Well, it's weird because you don't think of it that way. I mean, you're—you just know that you want to work that. This is what you do. This is what you love to do. I was also waiting tables. So all my time as an actress, I was still waiting tables for those 10 years. Wow. So it wasn't as if I had, oh, great, do a film. Oh, go on vacation, do a film. It wasn't that. It was do Valley Girl, take four and a half weeks off, go back to my waitress job, go on auditions, do do Joy of Sex, takes a few weeks off from my waitress job, go back to my waitress job, um, quit, only quit only work one waitress job instead of two. So it wasn't, it wasn't, um, what people think young actors or actresses experience if you do a film or some role. So it wasn't, it wasn't this career trajectory that was like going up. It was just working, trying to get consistent work. I did, um, I did this really fun project with Fire Theater, um, uh, that was called Eat or Be Eaten. That was a very um, kind of Fireside Theater was very big mm-hmm. in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, they did college circuits. There were three guys that were in the comedy troupe, and so it was that, you know different whatever whatever acting roles I got. You know you'd be thrilled. Commercial here, a video here, or movie here. I did five films in total, and um, you know you just keep going. Um, until you, you know, decide, no, I don't think I'll do this anymore. <laughs> is,
0: is that when you came to, to work for uh, Monster Creator Rick Baker?
2: I started working for Rick in 95. So um, I stopped acting in 90 and started working at a production company, for a commercial production company that, Shot and produce commercials, and then I worked uh, at Daily Variety, which is the one of the industry news,
0: um Oh, papers. sure. Yeah, I read online every and, day. And
2: write Daily Variety and the Hollywood Reporter. And then in uh, '95, I started working for Rick Baker, and was with him for eight years, and then went back and worked with him on the Wolfman reshoots, and doing a little project with him now on the side. So he's an amazing. Amazing uh, guy and his family. I love his family so much.
0: So, how was it that you met him and came to work for him? Then,
2: oh, it was just answering that I was at Daily Variety and um, I was there about two years. And management was changing, and so I decided to look for another position. And my mom actually found a little teeny ad, and I think it was in the Reporter that said um, said assistant. Uh, a sex company, Glendale, and a fax number. And my, some of my friends, that some of my guy friends were huge monster buffs, crazy monster buffs, love, know, knew who Rick was, loved Rick. I had no, I, I mean, I'd seen American World in London, but I was, I've never been a horror movie buff in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So it was actually very natural for me to be able to work for him and with him because I wasn't a fan. I was, there to, to work for him, you know, <laughs> and it's worked, it worked, it worked out quite nicely. He's, like I said, I'm very fortunate to 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 know him and his family.
0: American Werewolf in London has just come up again because uh, just down the street from me, Orlando uh, Universal Studios just opened up a uh, American Werewolf in London maze as part of their Halloween Horror Nights.
2: Oh, that's so cool.
0: Yeah, I'm afraid to go, to be honest.
2: Oh, you should go. I went to the Universal Horror Nights once. And it scared me so badly. I will never go again.
0: Yeah, no, I can't. I, I get. I really don't like being scared. Oh, then you, <laughs> then you shouldn't
2: yeah. go. Then you
0: shouldn't go. I mean, Rick Baker's work has given me nightmares. Oh. Not to be believed.
2: I don't, but, you it know, does I mean, give him nightmares because he gets it all out in the design phase. So. <laughs> I would.
0: I would love to know if he ever did something that that was so scary that it scared himself. Because I. I got to imagine the standards pretty high for him.
2: Yeah, they're big. Extremely high. No, I, I don't, I don't think so. He always goes as, as far as it can go and then takes it even farther to make it cool, to make it, that's fabulous. He would never say fabulous. It <laughs> to make it cool. You know.
0: So every time Alan Fowler Girl now hits a big anniversary, people are going to talk about Julie and Randy and Fred and Stacy. That, that's a nice legacy to have.
2: It's, it is sweet. It's really sweet. And, um, there's a director, I don't know if we talked, I don't think we talked about this when we briefly spoke before. Clay, Clay Wiener uh, is directing, is scheduled to direct the remake, the musical remake that's been discussed for the last
1: so yeah, many years. Yeah. And
2: he was at the 30th anniversary. I was, I've was. i been wanting to meet this guy for a year and a half. And, and I turn around and there's this really smiley guy and someone said, oh, that's, that's that guy who's going to, Direct the remake. Like, oh yeah! I want a, I want a cameo, please. Put a, put me in Cameron. Cameron, I must have a cameo. So that I, we don't know when that's happening. I thought it would have happened by now, but so we'll see. We'll see. We talked about it a few months ago.
0: Well, that's excellent. Hey, I'm really glad we had this chance to talk. And um, may Valley Girl live on to, for we can talk about it again in ten years for the 40th anniversary.
2: <laughs> I would love to.
1: <laughs>
0: and there she is, Heidi Hallier from Valley Girl.
3: Yeah, that was that's a great interview. Um uh, it's a, that's a good get and uh uh, what I one of the things I thought was interesting is she gives you a real insight into what it probably hasn't changed too much. What it was like to be an actress trying to scrape together a career in L.A. I mean, she worked quite a bit, uh, but still, she's talking about, "Oh, I could take a week off from my second waitressing job." So, uh, you know, it's not like I made a big movie and now I get to sit around and watch the residual checks pile up.
0: It's it's crazy what you have to give up to pursue that kind of dream.
3: Yeah, I I don't know how how people do it. I don't get it. I mean, I just. (laughs) Well, because
0: you and I give up nothing to pursue our dreams, which is like.
3: That's right. I want to be the biggest nerd. Talking to strangers on the internet. (laughs) I want to be the biggest nerd I can be. What do I have to give up? Nothing? Perfect. Great. (laughs) Sign me up. And here's the other thing that just occurred to me is um, she talks about how she liked working with the director uh, because she would give her feedback, like instant feedback. Martha Coolidge. She would laugh. Yeah, Martha would give him a laugh and stuff. And I got to tell you, Stuck in the 80s Nation, that's one of the weirdest things about doing these podcasts is when you're telling a story like I'm telling some of my dumb life stories, whatever, that I think are pretty funny. And usually when I tell them to people, you're getting some feedback from them, right? You're getting a, a smile and a nod or people start to cross arms. I don't know whether you love these stories. I don't know whether you hate these stories. I'm just I'm plowing through it and hoping for the best. <laughs> you get you get nothing back, and you're like, is is this going well? I have no idea. So it is kind of weird. Uh, I can appreciate that from a you know obviously from a very limited sense. I'm not trying to put myself in Heidi Holliker's league because I'm not right. But well, you never. I, I appreciate that. There, there is some <laughs> strangeness. To that.
0: You never know if you're like recording the breakup episode. Or the Tom Wopat episode. And there's a fine line between Williams Wopat. It. <laughs> at, yeah. yeah, it's like it can go either way. Um, what I thought was interesting was, and I told her I said the, to me the most objectionable part of the movie was the first two minutes where you guys just go into this vowel speak that's it's intolerable. Yeah, and I almost turned it off because I was like, oh Christ! The last thing I want to do it's is see really him, two hours of this. I don't need two hours of this. And then. It disappears pretty quickly and it never really kind of pops up again. I mean not, not in that level. Yeah. And who knew? I had no idea. Of all the documentaries I've seen about this movie, I had no idea that that was Martha's um, vision was to get that out and get it over with and then like, let's go on with the story.
3: Yeah. Kind of front load it. Yeah. And the other thing that occurred to me, and this is something that I enjoy when I watch it now is when I first saw it, I was living in Western Oklahoma and Hollywood was a mystical faraway land. And now I live here and it just, it still kind of cracks me up. Hey, I know where that is. <laughs> hey, that's, I've eaten at that restaurant. Hey, I know where, you know, it just, the, the locations of it are familiar to me now just cause I've lived here for so long. That's that still, I still kind of come out of my California ness a little bit for that, and I still kind of think that's cool. Well, I know for a fact you told me
0: the restaurant that 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 is the fixture in this movie. Du- is it Dupars?
3: Dupars, yeah. Where
0: where Randy and Julie eat in the big uh, "I melt with you" montage scene? You've been there.
3: Yeah, it's still there. They serve amazing pancakes you get like this little pitcher of clarified butter with your pancakes oh my god (laughs) it's so good every time you tell me this story i'm like oh god it's so good i mean i I have to take double lipitor when i get home but it is so good (laughs) oh my god there's only one thing
0: i crave more than uh double lipitor do you know what that is um the seggies Ah, the mis- refrain of reader mailbag. I'm not afraid to admit at this point
3: that I've had two and a half whiskeys. Well, you're two and a half up on me. I'm still sitting at my desk at work. And when
0: I say two and a half, I mean I'm making kind of strong, so it's probably like <laughs> yeah.
3: so. That's like six. What is that? Seventy-eight ounces. of it, may be. it might be two ounce know. drinks. I, I haven't. Had, I, I stopped drinking
0: during podcasts for the longest time, but we're recording this one later at night, Eastern time, and I'm like, well, you know. It was a really long day at work, and I thought, I, see, it's not going to hurt the podcast if I have a whiskey. So if I, yeah. if I mispronounce more than I usually do, blame the, wa- fix it in post. <laughs> blame the wild turkey. In the, <laughs> the t- winners are
3: <laughs> steepest, steepest, <laughs> yeah. Park. Yeah.
0: In the meantime, uh, we got an email from Robert Jordan, who uh, has a pretty interesting story about the Sure Thing, which I believe was the last podcast we did. I don't know. It's been so long. Was it? Might have been. what was the
3: last one we did.
0: At some point, we did a podcast on the sure thing. That's all I remember. Uh,
3: that was Actually, that was two ago because we did the the listener picks for oh. uh, Orchins of the 80s. We are really on top of our game I know. Here. So,
0: <laughs> so sometime in the last eight years, we did a podcast on the sure thing, and Robert Jordan has a great... But story.
3: Robert Jordan is going to save us with this letter.
0: Yeah, he better. Here we
3: go. Go so, ahead, Robert. we go. So Robert begins, hey, Brad and Steve. Ooh, I like Robert already. I have a little sure thing story to share. The sure thing was not on my radar when it came out. I was working in a mall, still finding my way in life. I was dating a girl who worked in the mall, and come August, she went back to local college, so our time together was limited. While she was off at school, I would hang around with friends from the mall or with my coworkers. There was a girl I worked with. She became a friend who I would go to for advice about girls mostly. I sense a some kind of wonderful connection, but alas, that movie hadn't happened yet. She saw me wooing my current girlfriend at that time and would give me color commentary and advice afterwards. One night while at work, everyone at work decided to go see The Sure Thing. But when work ended, everyone came up with better plans and it ended up just being her and me. No issues. You know, we were friends. And since my current girlfriend and I were only dating for a few months, I never thought twice about it. Let me stop you here. Okay. Somebody came up with better plans than going to see The Sure Thing. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Obviously, when they, those people list their regrets in life, that will be the top of the list.
0: When I went to see Space Camp, I'm sure there were probably better things I could have done. <laughs> but the sure thing – okay, uh-huh. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I don't mean no, to no, – I'm I, not going to editorialize. Robert has no. a story
3: to tell. We're, we're merely we're merely making some observations. The whiskey's starting to hit. Just go. On the life choices of others. Yeah. I think that's what we like to do, right? I uh, yeah. question others motives. Never my own, always No, others. no.
0: Robert's got and story. And we
3: return, we return to Robert's story. In progress. Uh, while we were waiting on the previews to start, she told me I was going to love this movie. She dropped the I saw this earlier this week with my sister card. <laughs> we'll and the guy, Gib, reminds me of you. She said it wasn't my looks, but the way I act. After the movie, the girl confessed that night she was into me. She was jealous of how I was treating my current girlfriend and that my girlfriend didn't fully appreciate me. However, she understood when I told her I liked her, but I was giving all my attention to my current girlfriend. Maybe I'm a little more like Gib than I thought. Hmm. She was not happy, although we stayed friends until it came time for me to grow up and leave the mall job. <laughs> <laughs> I missed the mall I
0: have to hit pause again. But
3: how many jobs did you have working in a mall? Um, Brad? in like an actual enclosed mall. Well, I mean, you can use a very uh, in, term in like shopping want. centers. I never worked in like a mall, but in shopping centers. Once I was here in California, I worked in a couple movie theaters that were in kind of shopping center areas, and I worked for a electronics retailer here in L.A. that used to be here called Federated, uh, and Shadow Stevens was the The spokesman. It was he was it's I'm Fred rated for Federated and it was all this kind of you know wacky. It was the wacky stereo salesman kind of model. Great. Yeah. Perfect. I um
0: I worked um two jobs in a mall that I can remember. I worked um at McDonald's was in a mall, uh
3: the one I worked at. Nice
0: and um, there was a place called Games and Gadgets, which I think changed their name to Electronic Boutique.
3: Okay, yeah, I, I remember them.
0: And I worked there, and that was that was a lot of fun. No but, hot dog um, on a
3: stick? You'd look good in that hat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like a rite of passage. If you, if you grew up in the 80s, you should have had a mall job.
3: If you lived someplace near a mall.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I totally, I'm totally up with
3: Robert on this story. So, I mean, yeah. I, I hate to keep interrupting. He's got, like, one more paragraph. Yeah, but we're, we're getting there. Here we go. Okay. So I'm not with either of them today. In fact, I haven't seen or heard from them since the mid-'80s, but I do have one very small regret. I wish I could have taken her to see Some Kind of Wonderful and told her, Watts reminds me of her. It would be a better story if I had. Still stuck in the 80s, Robert Jordan. Wow. That's a nice ending. Yeah.
0: Good letter. Good letter. We're trying to build, um, I don't know if you noticed lately, but on, on our Facebook page, we're stuck in the 80s. I'm trying to come up with a list of the underrated
3: movies of the eighties. Yeah, I've kind of tried to not weigh in on it because I want to see what other people say. Plus I'm lazy. But I, I'd be curious to see if um
0: if some kind of wonderful I think a couple of people have like suggested that one.
3: And yeah. so, I, I don't know. I there's it's not one of my favorites.
0: I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's underrated.
3: I but think it has it's about, some yeah, it has some it's about where it should be. Clever moments and it has some again, it has some great scenes that are in again in familiar LA settings like the Hollywood Bowl and the Norton Simon Museum and you know, so so it's it's got there's some fondness there and you know, Leah Thompson, of course. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Hey, if you have an email, send it to us. Um we love the stories. The stories go right to the front of the line. Yeah. Uh S I T eight zero S at gmail.com or Steven the eighties at gmail.com or Brad in the eighties at gmail.com.
2: What's happening? The hot
0: stuff. Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. Hey, we'll play a snippet of the song. Hey, we'll play a snippet
3: <laughs> I just caught it. I'm like, why do you stop?
0: Oh, oh bad. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I ah, will play a snippet of, <laughs> we'll play a snippet of a movie from the eighties. If you can get it right, and you can pronounce it with, you know, whiskey voice and all, uh, Brad will read your name. Yeah, phonetic
3: spellings are okay. Yeah,
0: not too many people got um, our last challenge. Listen closely. Here it is.
3: Oh, this is an elevator.
1: Really? I love elevators.
0: That's class with Andrew McCarthy. Yes, it is, and uh, Jacqueline Bisset.
3: Yeah, a lot uh, of people guessed wrong on this one. They, a lot of people guessed secret of my success.
0: Yeah, because you know why? Because the similar
3: scene they said elevator.
0: I think cougar. It's a cougar thing. Yeah. So, but um, it's funny because uh, class. You know, I, I, a couple, I think a couple podcasts ago, I mentioned that I had this um, uh, DVD set. In fact, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm staring. I'm staring around at it. Six movies from the '80s, and it has on there. Valley Girl, Rachel Papers, uh, Losing It, uh, Last American Virgin, Class, and Zapped. And so I bought it. <laughs> it's was, it was like $10. And thank God that I did because I was looking through um, my DVD collection the other day. And I'm looking for my Valley Girl DVD. And I can't find it. It's nowhere to be found. and I, huh. I probably have three of them. That's weird. So I had to, so I had to crack open this vintage collection of uh, 80s movies. And put, put the Valley Girl version in there so that I could record the, the you know, the little movie snippets you heard sure. In sure. Yeah, but, you
3: Yeah, because then like to get it illegally online, that, <laughs> that would be wrong. You wrong. never do that. <laughs> yeah. We want to make sure that intellectual property holders get their pay and get
0: but I, their due. I swear due. to God I swear to God my intent was to give this um package away to somebody someday. So we'll see. Um I don't know. I, just, I can't part with Valley Girl though. So we'll have to see
3: what happens. Um anyway, uh Brad, listen, uh list the winners. Let me tell you who the winners are. The winners this week include Kurt Turster, Shazam from St. Louis, James Crabtree in Indianapolis, and Kevin Weber of Ontario. Pay attention. Here's
0: this week's mystery clip.
1: Junior high, I played bongos in this band and I fell in love with our lead singer. And she sang We've Only Just Begun, Sweet as Karen Carpenter.
0: If you know it... Email us at sit 80s stuck in the 80s, at gmail.com or Steve, was it Steve in the 80s? <laughs> Last time I checked. <laughs> Steve in the 80s at gmail.com or uh, Brad in the 80s at gmail.com. And got, next one got, to next to find out if I'm still drinking.
1: Woohoo.
0: <laughs> ah, the magical refrain of Name That 80s Tune. Hey, the signature event, the original Seggy on Stuck in the 80s. Um, we'll play a snippet of a song, not a movie, a song from the 80s. If you get it right, and everybody did this week, yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, you know, get your okay. name
0: read. That's okay. I thought I was being clever by picking some hair metal. I wasn't. Pay attention. Here was the last show's Mystery Tune. That's Talk Dirty to Me by Poison. At the
3: There you go. Hair metal. You got to love it. Uh, that's kind of an underrepresented underrepresented genre around here, isn't it?
0: Um not the most, I would say rap. Yeah, okay. Or
3: or a uh, country. Really wasn't whoa, much going on yeah. country in the 80s, was it? Yeah, I never thought about doing that country uh So soon. well, I I know I say this all the time. There's a lot of soft country in the first half of the 80s.
0: Yeah. I don't know why I you know, at one point in time um Sean Daly and I were talking about doing a a country in the 80s podcast. I'm sure I've said this at one point. Um, He was like flirting with this uh, DJ who worked at the country station in Tampa Bay. And so we had her all lined up to come on the show and do the country in the 80s thing. And then like they were like on, off, on, off, on, off. And so we never like – I'm sensing a pattern. (laughs) Yeah. So we never actually did the show. But I mean if we had, I'm sure it would have been very interesting. It would have been like 90 minutes of him hitting on her – and then I would have squoze in, like, five clips from yeah, the I I, would,
3: I mean, I would have to – I'm not sure what you'd talk about for the second half of the 80s. I just don't know because it wasn't on my radar. No, it wasn't on mine either. But, I mean, the first half, obviously,
1: you
0: have Kenny Rogers
3: and – Oh, yeah. Dolly Parton. Ann Murray, Murray. You know, Alabama. Like and, I mean, Alabama yeah, there's a lot, sure. lot of that stuff. So uh, maybe, Devil maybe went down <laughs> to Georgia. You know, Charlie Daniels Band. <laughs> I think that was 70s, actually. But
0: 79, uh, really? maybe? Maybe very, very late, very, very late. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that there's a hint that this week's um, name the eighty two might be country, but it is. <laughs>
3: <laughs> in the meantime, uh, name the winners. Let Brad. me give you some winners here. Winners this week include Christine and in Philly, Todd in Minnesota, William Hobbs, Scott in New Hampshire, Tina in Michigan, Vava Voom, Julie Nelson, Robert Jordan, who wrote us a letter and we read it. Big trouble in Little Kansas. Lisa Brown, Jeff Extra Shoe Shoemate, Kevin Serving Wench, Charles from Yorktown VA, Pinhead, and Alex Stix Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico. Pay attention. Here's this week's country challenge. challenge.
0: That's not it. Here's the actual challenge. If you know it, email us at the above addresses. I'm not gonna say them again because uh whiskey Because has- you can't. Because <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> I can't.
3: Here's my hint for next week. If you play it backwards, you get your pickup truck back. Yes.
1: Please please tell me now. Please please
0: tell me now. Ah, please, please tell me now. The um Forsaken Segi, I guess you could call yeah, it.
3: You know what? It's making a comeback. We've had some pretty good PPTMNs lately. So, but yeah, keep them coming. We'd,
0: yeah, we have got about five, but we'll, we'll keep them coming. Yeah, please. Um, but this one's great. It's from Anon Emas. Somehow, I don't think that's the real name.
3: Abby Normal. <laughs> Abby Normal. Uh, what did it say, Brad? Uh, it says, Michael J. Fox and Robin Williams have new TV shows this fall. And there's an entire show, The Goldbergs, based in the 80s. So... Please, please tell me now, what do you think of these shows? Have you been watching them? Huh. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I I try not to, and some. Um no, in all seriousness, I have actually watched all these. We um we were talking about it, and I just thought, you know, I ought to have a official position for the stuck in the eighties newsletter that we don't publish. Um so I have seen I've seen all I've seen episodes of all three of these. Have you seen
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So Michael J so it's called the Michael J. Fox Show, right? Yeah. And he's basically playing himself. He's playing a guy who's afflicted with Parkinson's disease, but he's a retired news anchor. Right. In New York City. I watched maybe three episodes.
3: Yeah, I watched a couple episodes of it. And you know what? It's it's funny. It's not I don't know. It's okay.
0: It's, it's um it's cute. It's if you love Michael J. Fox, you just wanna give him a big
3: hug. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I, I thought they did a very nice job of kind of incorporating the Parkinson's in jokes without it being I mean, they're it's tastefully done. Yeah, and
0: not disrespectful.
3: Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, when you have a cast member whose name is on the show who suffers from this disease, and yes, that's gonna happen. But right. still it was <laughs> it was well handled. Um uh, you know kind of your standard cast of characters you got yeah. wife you know wife three kids the crazy sister that lives in the building yeah uh, i yeah.
0: don't know i i guess I, my bet is that it gets renewed for one more season and then after that it's kind of like we run out of ideas yeah i don't
3: know it, it's not doing well in the ratings
0: yeah, but I mean, do you want to be the network exec who pulls the plug on Michael J. Fox? Yeah, probably not. Probably. So I mean, I, you know, you give it a chance. Um, Robin Williams' his show's called The Crazy Ones. Yeah, I
3: think it's about uh, he uh, he is the dad, and Sarah Michelle Gellar is the daughter. His daughter, and they uh, run an ad agency in Chicago.
0: Right. Um, I've seen two episodes. I think it's. It's Robin Williams acting like Robin Williams. <laughs> yeah,
3: a little bit of that goes a long way. Yeah. I, I just can't take I, – I mean, when in the, in the first episode, his first appearance on the screen is basically 30 seconds of Robin Williams' zany – you're like oh, okay okay hold on he, we can <laughs> maybe he, something
0: will change yeah he he needs he needs to dial it down
3: a little bit but I mean it's it's of the three shows I probably like it the best yeah and if you like that I'm not I mean who the hell am I if you like Robin Williams doing that stuff then you should watch the well, show it's just it's just a different it's just a different
0: plot line I mean it's like okay well you're a dad and a daughter running an ad agency is like not something oh we've seen it a million times no you haven't yeah so true enough that's the one thing it has an advantage the Goldbergs on the other hand is just. The same old recycled sitcom plots you've ever seen in your life, but now we've set them in the eighties, and then the time frame doesn't even match. Like, I'm, somebody sent me an email last week where they said um, they went to see they went to see a concert that happened in nineteen eighty two, or they watched something. They went to see Poltergeist, I think. Yeah, chapter in nineteen eighty two. When they get home, there's something on the wall that's from nineteen eighty four, or he's wearing a t-shirt from nineteen eighty four, and there's a poster on the wall that's from nineteen eighty six. So it's like if you're gonna be from the '80s, you have to like like try and tighten up the timeline a little bit, maintain the integrity.
3: Yeah, which are Uh, words
0: that don't normally come out of my mouth.
3: (laughs) Well, okay, here are a few things that I will say in the defense of the Goldbergs. One, it's set in the '80s, but they're not like shoving your face in it every half second. Like, look at my giant cell phone. Oh my gosh, (laughs) you know. But to your point, it is pretty, you know, you know, stock uh, sitcom stuff. One of the things that I think is kind of kind of funny that they do, or maybe this is just the way you know TV works nowadays, that they have characters swear. But instead of having them actually swear, they beep it out and pixelate their mouth. So you can't see you technically can't see that they just said, F-, but from the context, you know, that's what they said. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I haven't seen that on network television. That is new. So, you know, I kind, of,
0: I kind of like that. I, I, mean, kind of,
3: I kind of noticed that, just, you know, a little, little industry thing. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess yeah. that's how we're doing it now. Do I hate any of the three shows? No.
0: But do I think they'll all be there next season? No. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way it goes. We'll be right back after this special message.
1: Those who think getting a car phone is not for them, whatever the reason, haven't kept up with the booming industry of cellular radio telephones. Seems like this are becoming commonplace in U.S. cities where cellular is available today. This revolution in communications could make it possible for more and more people to have a phone in their car, or even one that travels with you. Like this unique cellular portable made by Motorola, which weighs only 30 ounces. Right now, businessmen and women are major users of radio telephones where cellular is in service. But more people will take advantage of cellular as its benefits become apparent. Eventually, seeing people using cellular phones may seem as commonplace as someone checking time on an electronic watch, figuring on an electronic calculator, or programming on an electronic computer. Industry watchers say there are only a few thousand cellular phones in use right now, but that number is expected to grow considerably within the next few years during the cellular revolution. One, two...
0: And we're back, and by the sound of the music, we've obviously changed a ton of the podcast. Um, Brad was just at Simple Minds live in concert last night in L.A. Tell us about the show, Brad.
3: Yeah, I'm telling you, it was it was a great show. I mean, that, that's such a cliche, maybe, but that just you know, not to gush too much, but they just killed it. Um, they're touring on their latest greatest hits package, which you know may not be a lot different from other greatest hits packages that they've put out, but. Uh, They're doing a small tour in North America. It's like, what, eight dates, seven dates in L.A. and then the Eastern Seaboard and a couple of shows in Canada.
0: Nowhere near Florida.
3: If you're anywhere near those shows, you need to go and see this if you're any kind of fan because they were fantastic. I mean, Jim Kerr just had the place in his hand. Uh, He's he's such a showman still, and he still moves really well, and... You know, he does this thing, you know, it's interesting because I'm, you know, I'm an engineer, so I kind of pick out some of the technical details when I'm watching a show and I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay, the bass player, the guitar player, the backup singer, they're all on wireless mics or wireless pickups for their, for their instruments. And he has a cord on his microphone. That's kind of weird. Why is that? And then you realize it's such a prop to him. He throws the, when he's not singing, he throws the microphone over his shoulder (laughs) to free up his hands. And then he'll like grab it around and sing it to it, and they'll kind of. And it's just this—you can tell he's so used to working that way, and it's just so natural to him to just kind of huck it over his shoulder. It was—it was really cool <laughs> to watch. Uh, but it was a great show. The or, the Orpheum Theater in L.A. Super venue. I don't think there's a bad seat in the house. But uh, 80s Nation was out in force. Totally recommend it. And you know, they had they kind of basically said that when the tour was announced, look if you want to see us do a bigger tour in the United States, this one needs to go.
1: <laughs> um,
3: and, you know, they're they're holding up their end of the deal. I hope that they, you know, they sold out LA. I hope that the other shows sell out and they can get some promoter love and come back and do a bigger tour because, uh, you know, that would be that would be fantastic. You Me know, too. it's funny. We talked about, I think it was in the U2 podcast, and we, we talked about, you know, would you go to see U2 again or would you go see Simple Minds in a small club? Simple Minds. Well, I just got to go see Simple Minds in a <laughs> small club. It was amazing. Right, so, right. So no, do it. I
0: totally agree with you. Um, if you want to read the full review of Brad's show, it's on the blog I posted tonight. Um, in the meantime, uh, another great show. I'm, I'm happy that Heidi Holliger finally was able to join us. Again, we're still soliciting advice from people. If you have an opinion on um, songs that ended the 80s, email us.
3: Yeah, tell us. Give us your theories. We've got a lot of the emails. more complicated, the better. Yeah, we've got a
0: lot of emails about it. But keep them on. And uh, in the meantime, uh, Brad and I, we're going to stay here. And we're going to keep entertaining you, whiskey or no, hopelessly, stuck in the 80s.
3: and responsible.